Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to the Jill on Money show. It's Sunday, May 29th. And today we are airing the second part of our interview with Michael Clinton. He's the former Hearst executive. He is the author of a book called Roar, Roar into the second half of your life before it's too late. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how you as maybe a manager or an owner of a company might want to be astute and aware if somebody seems unhappy in your organization. Maybe you want to nudge them and say, hey, maybe it's time to roar into your next act. So here is the second part of our interview with Michael Clinton. Now, when you were at Hearst, for how many years total? 25. Okay, you're at Hearst. You run a huge organization. Tons of people work for you and in this organization. What role do you think a manager has in tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, my God, you just seem so unhappy? Like, do you think that is something that a manager should do or not do? Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what you what you sense from someone is their their unhappiness comes through in different kinds of ways, right? You know, they are being short with their people. They are being scowly in meetings. They are being, there's, there's always lots of signals. I, I have sat down with people who are my direct reports and, you know, asked them what's going on, you know, what's going on in your life, what's new and new and what's, you know, not new. And oftentimes, I think it's really important if a manager creates a great relationship with their team. The team member feels that they can be vulnerable with their manager and that they can, you know, hopefully have a, an open conversation. I'm, I've had conversations with people who were, you know, going through a divorce or just had diagnosed with a tough, a tough illness. But I think that what, what I pride myself on is building that relationship with my direct reports that they feel they're in a safe zone mm -hmm. and that they can talk to me and they can feel like there's going to be empathy and compassion as to, to where they are. And then we adjust from there. You know, it might mean a different kind of work, work style, or it might be a different kind of work pattern. You know, I, it's so funny. I, over the years, because when you're a senior manager, unfortunately you do have to fire people. Mm. And I've had 
more people who I have fired thank me <laughs> in, in hindsight saying, thank you. I understand why, why you had to do that. And I think that's being forthright and honest and, you know, completely transparent with people. You know, I was wondering also if you have some tips for the transitional period where people may be thinking about that. So I'm going to ask you to sort of be the boss for a second. You know, would you as the boss have liked somebody to come in? I think people are really fearful. And so I know the job market has changed, but, you know, people were fearful, like, I'm not going to tell Michael that I'm thinking about retiring because my God, I, you know, if I change my mind, is that like, how important is it to be honest or try to articulate these feelings that you might be having to the boss? Or, or does it just depend on who your boss is? Yeah, I think it depends on the relationship with the boss. You know, during my last year in my day-to-day seat, there were three people who had made the decision that they wanted to pivot out and do other things. And, you know, I helped to make sure that that was a good process. You know, behind the scenes, there were a lot of things like, uh, you know, pensions and financial matters and Mm. things that might be if there are executive retirement programs or, you know, how does Social Security fit in or Medicare? I mean, those are a lot of things that people believe it or not, some people don't think through, you know, so I would play a real good role in making sure that they were all kind of uh, kind of locked up. On the flip side, you know, I'm a big believer that people should work as long as they want. I'm very proud of the fact that I promoted a 70 year old woman, you know, a few months before I stepped out of the job. And I said, Carol, I hope you'll work as long as you want, as long as you're, you know, productive and, you know, innovative and all the things which which she is. So, you know, I think it's incumbent on on managers to help that. The, the one thing I do do with people who are, you know, as they're approaching, you know, sort of their early to mid 60s is what are they thinking about for the rest of their life? Are they thinking about, do they want to work in the same profession until they're in their 70s? Do they want to start a whole new career? Do they want to start a whole new, you know, the entrepreneurs, one of the, the biggest growing cohorts of entrepreneurs are people who are in their late 50s. You know, they have the resources, they have the contacts, they have the knowledge. It's a real burgeoning sector of the, the, the marketplace. And so a lot of people may want to start a business. So what, is, what does that mean and how they do it? So getting them into that conversation is not threatening. It's more just exploratory about what's next, because there's always going to be a next. I have a friend of mine who's a shrink slash executive coach, and I was interviewing her for a book that I'm writing. And she said something that was really interesting to me about high performing professionals, uh, sort of up and down. And she said, you know, what's fascinating is it's really hard to get them sometimes to step out of themselves and think about these things because there's a lot of validation that many people get from their jobs. And it might even be the job you hate. You know, I've, I, it, it's funny to think about it, but like you, like, oh my God, it's drudgery. It's this, it's that. But you know, I'm seen as a very important person. I have a lot of, of pull in my own industry and losing that almost becomes this untethering moment where people don't know what to do. So have you run into that in the all of these interviews? Absolutely. And there's a whole chapter in the book um, called Life Layering, which is around this very subject, because I think people, high performance people, as you mentioned, professionals, oftentimes they will define themselves by what they do 
as opposed to who they are. And I went through this at 39 years old when I was the publisher of GQ. It was a great job. I loved my job. I had a great personal life. But I realized that I was defining my entire being by the seat that I sat in. And I started this process called life layering, which you know I've been doing for 25 years. And, and that is building other personas around myself that are not what I did and what I what I did every day is, is work. You know, I became a very big adventure traveler, uh, which I've got this huge adventure travel layer. I've traveled to 124 countries. I've climbed mountains. I've run marathons on seven continents, and yes, including Antarctica. I am a philanthropist. When I stepped out of my day-to-day role at Hearst, I had all these other identities that I had cultivated. So I was able to sort of lean and flip into those identities. So I didn't go into this abyss, which oftentimes people do. And so this whole chapter on life layering shows how one can do that and how one can build these other personas. How do you feel? I mean, when you you mentioned this in sort of towards the end of the book about, you know, in the relationship chapter, a little bit about it's important who you surround yourself with, right? So we know this because there are a lot of negative forces like, oh, who would want to do that? Or you're crazy or this, that, and the other thing. Now, I mean, I think it's so hard if you're in your 50s or your early 60s and, you know, you've been around these people, like, how do you kind of downgrade the naysayers and how, where do you find these more positive folks, do you think? Oh, it's a great question. It's in many ways the question because you need to build your your sort of posse, I say. We have a word in our business, which is called editing. Mm-hmm. And editing is making sure that you are taking out all the extraneous and making the story tighter and making it better. And, you know, editing should be in your personal life, too. And it's very painful at times because we have relationships that we've had since we were young adults. I mean, I remember going through a painful breakup with a best friend in my 50s who I just couldn't keep in my circle anymore. It was... Um, it was too negative. There was too much you know, negative competition. There was too much jealousy. And I had to make that decision as an example to make my, my life more, more positive and more whole. But at the same time, we all know those naysayers who say, you know, why do you want to go back to school you know, in your 50s? In fact, I spoke to a woman and she said her kids, who, by the way, were in their 20s, were giving her a really hard time because she wanted to go and get a master's degree. And as we got into the discussion, what she revealed is she said, you know, it's probably how I raised them because I was available to them 24-7 for whatever need that they had. Mm. You know, I said, yeah, well, guess what? It's mom's time now. And so she had to sort of sit down and explain to them that this had nothing to do with them and or her love as a mother for them. But this was for mom. And so you get your kids pushing back, you get your spouse pushing back for sure, your partner. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to take that job? Why would you want to take that trip? Why would you want to pursue this? And I think that's the the core of the communication as to why why that's important uh, to you at at any given given time. It's a very real thing. I think that when 
we're contemplating these big shifts, you know, there's, you know, I, t- I deal with the financial part. You're talking almost about both the emotional and the personal relationship part. What other aspects of making these kinds of transitions do you think are instructive for people to just know about? Like, you're not crazy if, fill in the if, like if something is going on in this, as you, you know, you talk through these processes, what, what should they not be surprised about? You're not crazy if you dream big. You're not crazy if you realize at 50, you can have an entirely different life than you've had. And Stephanie Young, a woman I interviewed, was 53. She was an English major and had been a writer and a editor. And at 53, she decided she wanted to go to medical school and become a doctor. You know, that is an enormous challenge for someone who's 23, let alone 53. Yeah, no kidding. And she tells her story and she talks about the ageism that she faced in the American medical school um, system. And she ended up going to school in the Caribbean. And she ended up becoming a doctor. She's a doctor. She's in her early 60s. And she made a really great statement that I thought was really insightful. She said, you know, I became a doctor at 63 and I can have this career for 20 years plus. And that's perfectly fine. Hmm. That's perfectly fine. I don't have to think of my my next chapter as something that is the linear approach that we had when we were saying, you know, I'm going to have my 40-year career as I did in magazine publishing. And I was, you know, developed my career in that industry and I built it. A second career can be a whole different thing. And it also doesn't have to be approached the same way. And the expectation has, doesn't have to be the same way. I just finished a master's degree at Columbia University in nonprofit philanthropy. And I met a lot of people who were over 50 who were going to get this master's. And they wanted to move into the nonprofit space. They wanted to be in programming a nonprofit or support the mission. They were having a whole different thought about how they were going to now have a different kind of second career and involvement engagement. Getting your head around that is really important. And by the way, also getting rid of the self-imposed ageism. Mm. Because people say, well, I can't do that because I'm 50 or I can't do that because I'm 60. And I keep saying, well, why is that the case? Why can't you have a second career? Why can't you start running? When I ran the Toronto Marathon, I watched the first 100-year-old man cross the finish line of a marathon. That's wild. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, he didn't run his first marathon until he was 82. Get <laughs> yeah. out of here. That's I awesome. So I'm like, you know, anything can happen. Like, take the shackles off yourself about, you know, any aspect of your life because we we put these barriers around ourselves. Well, that was our interview with Michael Clinton. Thank you so much for listening. We'll have a link so that you can go check out the book yourself while you're on the website at jillonmoney.com. Don't forget to sign up for the free weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday. Mark does a great job. And of course, you can contact us. It's in the upper right-hand corner. Contact us if you'd like to come on the air or just pose a question. All right. Very good. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 